And welcome to Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Grant Psychokow Wilcott, and in the absence of most of the regular Lave Radio team, us new guys have had a chance to play with the buttons and twiddle the knobs, and I'm joined tonight by Phoenix Defire, Colin Ford. Good evening. Our Chief of Health and Safety, Ben Moss Woodward. Greetings, guys. How you doing? And Chief of Security, Lisa Vu. Greetings, Commanders. I think that's all of us, isn't it? We do have a fuzzle lurking in mobile. Yeah, but we won't mention him. Yes. Big Brother's watching to make sure we don't do anything naughty. To behave. <laughs> well, tonight is a special pre-beta 3, although I believe at this current second, for the first time ever, we are live as it's being pushed out. I don't know if anyone's actually managed to get an upgrade button yet. I might have missed that. Is anyone? No, we have someone no. in the chat room claiming that they're downloading and everyone else shouting troll. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so it's going live as we're recording this and we are on our TeamSpeak server so that we can have a chat with some of the players to find out what their hopes and desires are for Beta 3. And hopefully we might even be able to get some thoughts of it as they go in for the first time this evening. Quite a lot to get through. We've got some newsletters that we've missed. But before we get stuck into any of the topics tonight... Let's find out what everyone else has been up to. And first, let's find out. Colin, what have you been up to this week? Well, this week I've been mostly mucking about with Google Cardboard, which I believe we'll be looking at at a later point, which everybody nicknames the Oculus Thrift. So for £20 and a top-end Android handset, you could have a virtual reality headset. Made out of cardboard. Made out of cardboard. It's just, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just the thought of the cheap options for Oculus are unbelievable. Makes the Google Glass seem a bit overpriced in those sort of terms. It is a bit. But then again, Google Glass is slightly subtle. Walking around with what looks like a shoebox on your head isn't. Google Glass isn't (laughs) subtle. Shush. Uh, Anything else that you've been up to this week? Anything exciting? Apart from that, let's see, I have a word count going on a project, which I've got to keep hush-hush about. Apart from that, it's, oh, I'm afraid to say, it's mostly been Dad's taxi and, and running errands for everybody, so a pretty mundane life. Because of that, I haven't been able to get in-game as much, so everybody else is going to have so much more money than me. I'm very green with jealousy. Well, you see, after the announcement of the wipe, for Beta 3, I stopped making money and went on a mission of losing money, and I regret that greatly when, what, a number of days ago, they announced that they weren't going to do a full wipe. So I think I might have less money than you. I'm just hoping that they'll clear bounties and fines, because otherwise I'm going to be skint for some time. Oh, I know the feeling. All right, well then go over to Lisa. Lisa, what have you been up to since we last saw you? I've mostly been busy dealing with plague I've been incredibly ill, so I've not really had much time to play Elite, unfortunately. So if Colin thinks he's doing badly, then I'm probably doing worse. (laughs) It's one of these things. I know you've been pretty ill for a wee while now. How are you feeling now? 
a bit better. I keep coughing occasionally, so if if I do, I'll probably have to edit that bit out somehow, maybe. But yeah, I'm feeling much better than I was. Thank you for asking. Well, we shall go over and find out what our health and safety officer, Ben, what have you been up to? I've obviously been slacking my duties because I haven't actually been checking Lisa out, I'm afraid. Probably why she's still got Lurgy. Um, and as I start coughing, <laughs> <laughs> it's spreading. No, it's an internet disease. Um, <laughs> but... A new form of computer virus. <laughs> Real life, I've I've got myself a new phone, so I got myself the Galaxy Note Four. A bit of drama getting that because EE can't seem to apparently arrange a delivery, especially when combined with DPD. But that's by the by. On the nice news, though, just today my flatmates came in with a bottle of Czechoslovakian liquor called Tetra Tea, which is a minor little thing of 62% alcohol. And it actually tastes surprisingly nice as well. From what you can remember. I've had a sip of it. It was quite nice. I've also been playing a wee bitty of Middle-earth Shadow of Morgor and thoroughly enjoying that, actually, even though it is a bit generic. I've not seen that, actually. I've, I've seen you mentioning it, but I've not had a chance to have a look at it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I think, as Lisa mentions in Vu's review, it's the orcs that make the game. The main character that you play is very generic, but the orcs are so funny. The orcs are the best thing about that game, seriously. The ranger is just like Blandy McBlanderson, but the orcs are amazing. Well, I've had a fairly busy day, and I should have been able to come on today and say something along the lines of... I get my keys in two days. But already I've had phone calls today and it's looking like I get my keys in a few days. I just don't know when anymore. Oh man. It's the project that just keeps getting further away. The closer we get, the further away it seems to be. But I have on a good authority that by middle of next week, I will be able to move into my new home, which is fantastic. We'll believe it when we see it. How's your nan doing as well? Yes, and my grandmother is continuing to, well, she's not improving anymore. She's now kind of reached the level that she's going to be at, and we're now looking at arranging for suitable care for her ongoing. But she's quite happy, actually. She's quite cheery and upbeat. It's just, you know, learning to change the way you live your life, which at 94 must be a bit frustrating, but she's not showing one ounce of frustration. She sounds like a very resilient lady. Yeah, I think she's going to be causing grief for me for a long time to come yet. I did get some sad news actually last night that my nephew, who's only two weeks old, died. Yeah, I was very sad to see that actually. It was really bad news. Yeah, I know his mum and dad are right gutted. We're going to a funeral for that in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, so I'm sorry to hear that, Ben. Before we go on with the rest of the show, we're going to take a quick minute just to go over the Astrogator Tours competition that we're running. This is a competition that is looking for the best screenshots that you have from the Beta 2 or 3 builds. And, of course, it has a prize. Prizes being donated by Frontier. Submissions can be sent to info at laveradio.com or through our Facebook page forward slash laveradio or through Twitter at laveradio on Twitter. Or you can submit it to the Lave Radio thread in the Elite Dangerous forums. We are also teaming up with EliteGalaxy.org which is the fantastic site for all Elite Explorers, where you can actually see some of the entries already and submit your entries there too. So, whatever you're going to do in the next couple of days while you're playing and finding your way around this beta, remember the screen capture key, because it could win you some pretty fantastic prizes. I look forward to seeing your entries. <laughs> <laughs>
Is your life like this? It could be like this. Astrogator Tours, put some excitement back in your life. Book an adventure in the Lave Business Department. Now. The what now? What we're going to do is we're going to jump straight in and see who in the chat would like to tell us something that they're going to miss from Beta 2 and something that they're looking forward to from Beta 3. So we're going to throw it open and take one person from the chat who fancies having first word. Don't rush. Not everybody all at once. Yep, we've got bingo. Oh yeah, Beta 3. I mean, a couple of things that jump off the list that Ed posted in the forums. Interdiction. Yes. Awesome. But also so upsetting for everybody as well, I think. Ah, oh, they're introducing uh, grief mechanics. Yeah, exactly. And the other big thing for me is all the improvements that they're doing to the Galaxy map and the system maps as, as regards the Oculus Rift. Oh, right. Fantastic. Yes. I'm just realising I've not looked at it yet. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I mean, there's a whole bunch of other little things that I'm looking forward to. The enigmatic sounding dropship. Oh. That's not in the game already, is it? That's not in Beta 2, a dropship, is it? No, no, it's not. Else to look forward to. And also on the Oculus Rift, that it says in the update notes, direct access, but I assume that means direct mode. Which is oh. a much easier way to use it. I know that the original Beta 2 build, they had uh, the direct mode working and it also displayed it on your main monitor as well, which was great for when you're demoing it because it's impossible when you can't see what that person's seeing to be able to direct them, to be able to undock and things along those lines. So that certainly would be, if it's gone back and they've perfected that particular mode where it gives you the secondary sort of display, that's going to be brilliant going forward. It says, allow the window to be resized to the desired dimensions, brackets, the ones specified in the options menu. Well, I hadn't actually realized that you could already do that in a previous build because I've only had the DK2 and I've had the DK1. Yes, there's been quite a lot of changes. Thanks, Bingo. Um, we shall put you back into the mass muted and we'll go over and speak to another member from the chat, Flack. What is it you're looking forward to? Uh, well, there's many, many new things coming in beta 3 as we all know but the list is going on and on but one thing i did want to say is they're actually removing bobbleheads which is a, a huge disappointment <gasps> no. no i agree it's an injustice yeah just as it's coming up to christmas and it's almost time to switch on the christmas tree bobblehead it's being removed i feel <laughs> a petition coming on <laughs> I can see a lot of forum threads appearing in the next three couple of days, absolutely screaming and shouting. It's breaking my immersion, the missing bobblehead. Nobody cares about fracking anymore, it's just bobbleheads. I wonder if it's because they're going to start selling them in the store. That's uh, one theory that was knocking about earlier on, on the TeamSpeak. You cynic. You cynic. <laughs> you might and, be and right. We all, want, we all want a David Braven bobblehead anyway. The thing is, though, if you remove them completely, then how do you make people want them? Surely the first taste is free, and then you want to buy them. Give them a little bit of what they want, and then make them pay. But Beta 3, the, the change list, as it was for Beta 2, is uh, extremely long. They've managed to fit it into one post this time, which is uh, very impressive. That must be the new forum. 
But yeah, loads of fixes. Some of the little things I'm really looking forward to. On the Galaxy map, they're adding icons for your missions and for your additional ships. So you can see in the Galaxy map where your missions are and where your additional ships are, which is, which is nice. It does look like Bobbleheads is splitting the community. This could be a serious issue for the game. It's absolutely serious. What are they thinking of? My forum name's Ian Phillips. On this chat, I'm Reichdar, which is my commander name. And I'm devastated, absolutely devastated. They're taking away the bobbleheads. I spend most of my time in a sidewinder. I'm not sure I could actually carry on with, uh, without my little companion bobbing away there. <laughs> El Masari, if you'd like to introduce yourself as well, I believe you are, now I'm not sure if you are gutted that the bobbleheads are going or whether you're celebrating. I'm I'm gutted, to be honest. I, I thought, again, I spent a lot of my time in a Sidewinder. I, I loved them. And yeah, I found it just added such a, a level of immersion, just, you know, even though I would never... Oh, he was breaking up a little bit there. Maybe come back to you on that point in a second. So we'll speak to Titus Balls. If you'd like to introduce yourself and let us know where you are on this bobble hat debate. Good evening, Commanders. Yes, it's uh, Titus Balls. Uh, also Titus Balls in Gaming on the Forums. I think I'm the one of the cynical ones. I think they're removing them so they could put them in the store as a microtransaction with the rumoured fuzzy dice as well. <laughs> we have yeah. actually seen a picture of the fuzzy dice once, didn't we? I think the fuzzy dice and mirrored the school. Yeah. <laughs> See, I feel like there's an uprising right now. Like commanders who love the bobbleheads need to band together and let Frontier know that we miss them. Bring them back. Oh, there's already fifty threads on it already. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but nobody started a change.org petition, right? I'm cheering them on. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask for one second? Right, we've got all this fantastic stuff coming in. You know, massive expended play area, m- multiple ships, mining, fuel scooping, almost a whole release. And the one thing that everybody is upset about is they've just lost one little wobbly thing from the dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> what I've been looking forward to for some time is mining. So that's coming in. So I'm quite looking forward to going around scooping up bits of rock from uh, amongst all the asteroids and dodging all the pirates that want to come and try and nick it off me. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it, may, it might be weird to some people, but, you know, I'm actually looking forward to that. El Masri, was there anything else you wanted to sort of mention about what you're looking forward to from Beta 3? Yeah, I think the main thing I'm looking forward to is the multiple ship ownership. Although I've not had enough money to ships particularly well so far, but... Certainly being able to have ships for different purposes, I think, would be uh, interesting. I'm afraid, Elmer, <laughs> we're going to have to sort of leave your point there, sort of undeciphered. And Titus, was there anything else you wanted to add? Any any key part of Beta 3 that you're desperate for? Uh, well, obviously covering the, the mining and the multiple ships things, I, I'm excited for that as well. But yes, I am looking forward to introductions. I'm looking forward to being able to fly around and bounty hunt. And it's not necessarily against other players. You know, I know some people feel that it's a bit of a griefing issue but you know there are a wide range of npcs to chase down as well but the other thing that surprised me from the patch notes is all the planetary stuff that has been adding like volcanic stuff and planets have got different ice caps and yeah i'm really looking forward to that because you know I, I enjoy doing that as a meta part of the game and going around making videos of how beautiful this game is and i, I cannot wait to get out into the galaxy and see that stuff Amazing. I mean, it f- yeah. 
feel scooping for one, you know what I mean? We'll maybe take a couple of minutes to go through the, with the, the crew and get them to pick out their key features that are going to be coming in this new beat build as well and see what their thoughts are. So, you know, thank you guys for your thoughts. That was great. And we'll come back to you again with some more questions later on. Yes, so Beta 3 is coming soon and we have a host of new features and content. So guys, what's floating your boat? Obviously, I think the big one is the player interdiction. I think it's the one thing that has been missing and is probably the one thing that will drive most people to the solo group the quickest. But um, <laughs> It might solve all the multiplayer elements by forcing everyone not to play it. <laughs> exactly. But I am actually looking forward to this, the way that you can interdict other ships regardless of whether or not they're a player. And to me, that just adds that little bit of extra edge and spice to keep your wits about you as you're flying about the place. Because you never know when you'll get somebody who, who decides that uh, they want that juicy cargo you're carrying and that your poor poxy pulse lasers ain't going to cut it. Totally agree. I think that's going to have something to say to these innocent little commanders flying along in their haulers without any shields or pulse lasers, just maximizing jump range and cargo and, you know, suddenly realize this isn't an elite care bear. Absolutely. I'm just thinking, actually, are, are they introducing linked player drives? Because one of the things that will really make interdicting people funny is when you think you're pulling one target down and then in reality eight ships drop out in front of you, oh, including like a-, a couple of anacondas. Like a group jump function. Yes. I don't see that in the list. I'm not sure. I've not is. seen any references to fleeting or whatever it's been called now, wings. And I don't even know if when you interdict one person, would you automatically interdict the rest of the wing? Well, I don't know if we know anything about that. I mean, it disrupts their jump, doesn't it, in theory? So it would disrupt yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, but doesn't it track their specific signature? So actually you'd have to pick from a number of signatures and then you would only really interdict one. Well, we don't know until we actually see the functionality in action. I love it's the all theory of- crafting, isn't it? It totally is, Lisa. I love the idea of just, you, you go off and you think you've, you've picked on one poor little sidewinder and actually you get five anacondas as well. That'd be great fun. Yeah, but can you see one poor little sidewinder being able to yank out of uh, frame shift four uh, anacondas? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but no. if they're all linked together, and they sort of, every, if one guy gets interdicted, everyone gets interdicted. Interesting. It would be an interesting mechanic. It certainly would add that element of risk to being a pirate and going, oh, look, there's a nice little cargo as a hauler. He's hidden there down to Freeport. I'm going to pull him out. I don't know why he's from the West Country, but I'm going to pull <laughs> him a out of a super cruise and I'm going to have his booty. And then he's, he's pretending like, to be Crash. Is that what's going on right now? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's flying a combine harvester. It's all got a bit meta. <laughs> But that does bring us down to to one massive update that uh, we've not even mentioned or heard from anybody in the chat, which is unusual. How many systems are we going to have? A ridiculous amount. Wow. It is ridiculous. That giant little tail's getting bigger. 2,400 plus systems in a 350 light year long, 37 light year wide I'm not quite sure if it's still going to be a pill shape or whether or not... I think they have said it's a pill shape, yes. 
It's officially a sausage, um, and that's keeping it clean. But that's a massive player area. That's at least, what, 2,395 systems that I won't see. There's a there's a crazy percentage statistic as well, um, which was in one of the newsletters, which says that it's only a little over half a millionth of 1% of the final eventual size, which is mad. Yeah, I know. Have you actually taken the time to zoom out of where that pill, where the pill is in beta 2? It's Cause ridiculous. If, yeah, because if you, if you start zooming out and zooming out and zooming out, you start getting that feeling that was once described in a Douglas Adams book, the total perspective vortex, because that is you on an invisibly small dot, on an invisibly small dot, compared to the entire size of the galaxy. It does raise that wonderful question. We know Sol is not going to be part of this new bubble, so we don't get to go and visit our homes, but how many of our backer reward might we uncover? How many backers' planets might we discover in this new lot? How many backers' stations might we find? And that's quite exciting. That's well worth an explore. How many people have we got in chat right now that invested at that level? Who's got stuff named after them? I know you have, Cal. Yeah, I've got a planet and a station. It looks like Void Sun has a, a D-Pace station. Space. <laughs> space. Yes, he has a space station. Void, what's it called? Oh, hello. Um, Agnew's Folly. Uh, and interestingly, I know where it is because it's actually in John Harper's novel. So I know which system it's in as well. Oh, Fantastic. Fantastic, because a lot of the fiction, you know, is going to have these areas and scenes that we are probably going to want to visit in game, and it's just quite exciting when you hear it's two thousand four hundred systems. You kind of think the odds are going to be in your favour of finding something from the fiction, but then in reality, if you were to say it's what half of a millionth of the total, yeah, that's that kind of puts you back down to earth again. So, is this a, a priority for you to go and visit your own uh, station? Oh, yeah, definitely. I want to go and see my name on the front of the station in the game. Uh, thanks, Carol. Is there anyone else that has a station or planet or any sort of content that they've had a chance to name? Are you going oh. to let Simon speak? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we can let Simon speak. Because no one understands him. Well, yes, I do have a station. And um, if you listen to Dockers, you might know what it's called. It's called Winard Hall. And basically, at the moment in Beta 2, I have located it because... It is just outside the bubble, so I am hoping in Beta 3 it will be just inside the bubble and I will be able to visit because I think all the backers who have rewards in the Kickstarter for various systems or planets or what have you, I think they really do want to see their things now in the game and uh, although we've got 2,400 stars, I think it all boils down to everyone wants to see their little part of their game now. It does, it certainly brings us all in and hooks you into the game and gets us all invested in a game in a way that having your own content is always going to do. You know, feeling that you own a part of this universe is going to be a, a huge factor for some people. I'm certainly looking forward to finding my station, which is onesie and should be around a planet called Cowden. And I'm looking forward to having a look and seeing what kind of planet it is, what kind of station I've got, whether or not it's going to be the first destroyable one in the game, which will be heartbreaking, but funny. It's your little part of the game, but on the other hand, it's like, it's mine, my own, my precious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Simon. Thanks for that. Ben! I don't have my own station, but I've 
been recently in beta 2 hanging out a bit at Paul Friedrich's star, which has got a station by the name of Paul Friedrich's station or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's got his name in it as well, which is sounding very much like a backer's pleasure award, but I don't know if it is or not. Well, I know, because we've seen Jaunty's claim for quite some time now. Uh, um, I don't know if anyone's actually been to Jaunty's claim. Well, we've all been to it, because it's near Dahan, Titus is saying. Actually, can I, I, can see... I just interrupt briefly? Yeah. I don't know if anybody's seen it in the chat, but Titus posted a link to Michael Brooks' Twitter account with a Vine video, and it's probably the best thing I've seen on the internet all day. It is elite-related. It's a Coriolis station made out of Domino pizza boxes and a piece of pizza docking with it. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> stupendous. I'm sorry, I, I keep watching it on repeat. It's amazing. Congratulations, Frontier. We love that. Bingo, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, going back a bit to the part where you asked about what we were looking forward to in Beta 3, and it would just interest me to see a show of hands who else is like really relieved that we're going to have route finding in the galaxy map. We should maybe try, uh, I don't know, a flash of voice button or something rather than a show of hands. It never <laughs> works quite when you've got an audio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Come on, everybody on the forums, all 5,000 people on the forums now, hands up. It is exciting, though. I mean, that is one of the things that people have been asking for almost regularly since the standard beta came out. Yeah, brilliant to see how it works and whether it does work as intended as well. Even though I've enjoyed using some of the scraping tools in the past, hopefully if it works as one would hope, then it might make those tools unnecessary in the future. Exactly, yes. I'll be looking forward to seeing the improvements for the Oculus Rift to see how that comes across. Because, I mean, it is a great thing to use, but you do feel that when you're trying to do certain things, it's not quite right for you. So sometimes menus are slightly angled away from your position, which makes it difficult to read them. So I'm looking forward to those kind of things. I'm just having a quick look down this list of the new features and content and fuel scoopings in. Mining is in, metal and rock, multiple ships, player area expanded, visuals overhaul, the planet's colour now reflects its chemical composition. That's amazing. Atmospheric colours as well, now true to the sort of chemical composition. That's just, it's ridiculous. Complex craters can create dust ejector. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) You've missed the Imperial Clippers in the game now as well. Ah, but does this mean that we're actually going to have Empire systems within the pill, if you see what I mean? Now, we know that they've got Empire fighters in there, but I haven't seen any yet. So hopefully, not only we'll see the Imperial Clipper that we can have a good play with, but we'll also be able to tangle some Imperial fighters. Maybe even see an Imperial capital ship as well. Can you imagine a reenactment of the Damocles video in-game? That would be so awesome. I'm now concerned that we're going to have planets that are actually made up of Domino's pizza boxes. (laughs) There's some other things in this list that are really quite interesting, probably worth a little bit of debate. And again, I'll I'll throw this open to the people in the chat as well. If anyone's got any thoughts on these particular points, they're welcome in. But we'll start with the panel. So, guys, the one that really kind of stands out for me is the philanthropy missions. Missions for nothing. I mean, obviously, this must be further to improve reputation with certain factions and certain corporations and stuff. But what do you think about this philanthropy? What kind of missions do you reckon we're going to get? 
I kind of feel like that maybe, so for example, we saw the whole Erinning conflict thing, that maybe it will tie into that with sort of humanitarian effort stuff, maybe? Yeah, I think it would have to be, or maybe it can be, you know, that there's um, a particular crisis that you pick up in the news threads. I mean, we do have these kind of begging missions, but they all pay for it, you know, so we're help us, we're looking for food, we're desperate in need of food. So maybe it'll be missions to stations where there really isn't any kind of economy and you really are basically just improving your standing with them. Yeah, that's what I was going to, to pick up on, is basically to help fix your reputation. If you are in a bad way with one of these factions that are out there, then what better way to repair that uh, reputation by doing a few free missions for them? You don't have to be eternally damned, do you? There is a way of getting back in God's good books. It just reminds me of Ben doing his missions to murder and maim the innocents to make money. He then falls out of favour with the particular faction and goes, well, tell you what, you know what? I'll come and kill your enemy citizens if you'd like, for free. I'm not doing it for free. They can pay me. I'm quite happy. I've got a price. <laughs> yeah, I know, Ben. Cup of tea. Give me a hobnob and a mule for a night. Well, that wasn't awkward. Well, we've got Titus is looking to talk about graphical improvements with the DK2 and obviously have a wee chat about the audio improvements as well. So are you there? I am here. Well, just to pick up what you were saying, because obviously you mentioned the, the rift as well, and I was reading through the notes. One of the, the kind of big things about the DK2 is it looks like they fixed the system map in it, and also quite a few improvements for the galaxy map as well, which I'm looking forward to. Obviously, I hope they, they may have compiled it against the most recent SDK as well to get the improvements from that. But one of the other things that really excited me was reading the audio improvements. Now, I'm a total immersion player. I've got like a butt kicker as well, and it, it, when you've got the rift on, it just makes the game so much more immersive. I have to shout out to the guys at Frontier who do the audio. You are a blinding job. The music and the sound is absolutely great, and I cannot wait to hear what's going to happen in this patch with the changes, because there's actually a big, chunky section of audio changes, and it looks like there's some really good stuff coming with it. There are some exciting things. I mean, one of the things I've noticed about the Galaxy map is that they've added partial name searching, which is a huge thing when you're trying to find something and you can't remember how it's damn well spelt. And you're sitting there going, I know it begins with a G, and then it's got an E, and then I've got no idea. And that's a, that's a nice handy function to help people find where they're going, which is brilliant. I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things that's been quite frustrating. And one of the other features I've seen there is not as important, not as big, not as flashy. For some of us who have been staring at these orange spinning ships for far too long in each of these new builds, the good news is they're adding different ships. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. Just going to stare at an asp spinning around in front of us for a change. Well, I don't know if there's any other particular points you want to raise, guys, with regards to the new features and content. Is there anything in particular that you've seen in that list that you want to raise now before we move on? Danny, if you'd like to introduce yourself and then you can let us know your thoughts on fuel scooping. Hi, my name is Danny Ramclair-Bush and I am looking very much forward to fuel scooping. To do it in the original Elite, the way the sun looks here, it's going to be absolutely stunning. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as in the original. No, it's going to be very, very difficult. Did you happen to see the peak of the week last week, which showed you this image of a ship mid-scoop? Yeah, I saw that. I also saw the cabin temperature was pretty high. So you're looking forward to that one. That's fantastic. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> I did notice that they're saying you're only allowed to fuel scoop from suns. It seems that fuel scooping from the gas giants, is that still going to be in the game or is it quietly shelved? 
Well, well, I think it's been mentioned. It's maybe just a case of they're try it with this and then they can apply it in a different way for planets. I mean, really, once they get those kind of mechanics sorted, really all it is is different equipment and, you know, slightly different visual effects. Surely the problem with gas giants, for example, is is proximity. So, whereas with suns, you'd technically be able to get close enough to emissions, with gas giants, you might not be able to. I don't know. One of these things we need to wait and see. I think we shall call a, an end to that section now and move on to the next section. So we've got a couple of things we're going to be talking about tonight. We have Colin going through some interesting points about Google Cardboard. And we've had a number of requests in the past from listeners and newcomers to the Elite Dangerous game to provide some background information on the three factions that are based in the Elite Universe. Alan Stroud and Chris Jarvis sat down to consider these and to come up with some info for you. Accessing data archive. Background information request. The Federation. Okay, so Alan, the Federation, what can you tell us about background of the Federation? Essentially, the idea of the Federation is that almost a capitalism taken a little bit further. So where we look at a real world parallel, we would look at maybe America or um, another commercial, a highly commercialized society, perhaps Japan, um, taken that little bit further so that the commercialized element pervades everyday life. And this means that the life of a Federation citizen revolves around sponsorship, revolves around brand, and revolves around the influence that corporations have over different aspects of the things that they do. The main description of the Federation is that they are egalitarian, patriotic, and capitalist. Now, this suggests that you know there are certain freedoms that are enshrined within the ways in which they, you know, in which federal law works. But at the same time, some of those freedoms are subject to economic pressure in the way in which you might have a corporation who, who have a, a strong aspect in the federation and have a, a set of employees, and they will direct their employees in terms of the way in which they vote. And they will perhaps tell their employees that today they need to be wearing these particular clothes and so on and so forth in terms of, you know, their market promotion and stuff. So, you know, that that's essentially the, the Federation in a nutshell. It is a battleground of commerce. It is continually about media consumerism. It is about the interior way in which that kind of commerce can go when it's fighting over its market share and it's fighting over its audience that effectively that perpetuates the way in which they they work it can kind of paralyze them a little bit you know if you're asking for the federation to to politically act for it to do something uh, in reaction to you know to something that happens in space or something that happens in the the wider interstellar political environment then the concerns and considerations of corporate entities of senators making sure that their their positions are secure etc etc all kind of throw into that mix so you can kind of see how the economic and the commerce element of the federation can in some ways make it a little bit slow okay and so and in terms of as well then how that manifests in the sort of military complex and the kind of ships that we see mm. uh, what's the kind of what's your feeling about within the game the, the ships you're going to see coming out of the federation and the, the kinds of missions that you're likely to find in in sort of federation space well i think you'll see highly corporate activity you'll see an awful lot of corporate you know opportunity in federal space it's well known that uh, the slavery is illegal 
So um, within federal uh, dominated space, you're not going to see uh, a great deal of um, of official slavery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But certain aspects of uh, of certain federal systems, there will probably be an active black market. I, I think that's going to be less so in the core worlds. But as I say, I think you're going to find it in some of the, the more peripheral federal systems, particularly as you've got this this sort of byplay between federal and corporate as things go. It's worth noting as well, cloning is illegal in federal space. And uh, the, they're not particularly, you know, the terraforming stuff and what have you, you know, they, they had some, some particular trouble accepting terraforming. Uh, as a practice, particularly early on when um, when a lot of the, the methods of terraforming were against, uh, you know, they were, were damaging to environmental considerations of alien life on particular planets. It's, you know, it's part of the early history of how the Federation then moved into space. Okay, so would you would you expect to see populated planetary systems in the kind of the federal core maybe feel a bit less populated because they're looking for planets that are already ideal for settlement? rather than kind of making worlds around them work? I don't know. I mean, you know, I think now, now that we're in 3300 AD, I think that concern is subsumed. And I think as well, you've got to remember the quick buck parameter gets over the top of ethics in terms of a consideration. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so it does, it supersedes the ethical consideration. There will always be that veneer that, that yeah. sort of pays the, you know, not slavery, no, it is, you know, they, they earn a living wage. You, you yeah. see what I mean? You know, you, yeah. you can kind of see how that's spun. Yeah. And I think the spin is going to the, be the important prevalence that you'll see in a lot of the mission uh, requirements. Certainly in the way in which the missions are worded, I think will be quite interesting. You might well find, you know, if you take that moment to reflect on the contracts that you may be accepting or that you may be perusing through, you know, have a look at the way in which they're written. Have a look in the way in which they're worded, because I think that might be quite interesting. As David Braben said, you know, when we interviewed him, you know, he's very keen that they are all about bringing back the choice to the pilot, the player. And I think that's a, a consideration in a moral quandary. You want the player to have the choice and to perhaps reflect on the choices that they make. And I think the Federation will probably be, it will be a little bit about being seduced by that choice. From the outset, the way in which the the dialogue, the way in which the uh, the information is communicated, will perhaps be a little bit less overt, you know, in terms of making you make a moral choice. But then, when you get halfway down the down the mission, down the list, you might be looking at it and going, "What are you actually asking me to do?" I, I'm not sure if I'm ethically if if ethics is a a consideration for you you know when you're playing this game drawing on the parallels what you were saying about the the kind of slavery versus minimum wage thing i mean in terms of we've talked before about science fiction being about now rather than actually about the future yeah. so would you say that the federation is kind of a representation of of the status quo of how things are now i think so i think what it's trying to do good science fiction takes things from now and it enhances them that little bit further and then shows them to you to make you look at the thing that you can relate to within whatever that concept is and reassess the things that are in your own life. With the representation of commercialism, this is very much uh, you know, a, a theme that's within the, the, the federal idea. And with the, you know, the game premise being about essentially Cold War paralysis between two large interstellar factions, the Federation is paralyzed by its own feeding on its own tail 
you know by the fact that it looks you know everyone within it looks to make sure that they are they are secure before they start doing something else to look for their own profit before do, doing something else etc 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 you can kind of see real world parallels very clearly there and it perhaps does make you then look back at those real world parallels and reassess them yeah and certainly the kind of the huge battle between obviously the federal government trying to keep control on things but at the same time the corporations having such huge pull you know a lot of the systems are essentially run by by corporations rather than uh, by any sort of effective political leadership yeah indeed and also what you also see is littered through the history that's that's been expanded on and if anyone's interested in that at this stage i would suggest go read the frontier gazetteer there is an awful lot in the frontier gazetteer so in terms of players coming into this we are essentially saying that historically the federation is basically us if we continue or you know if we manage to expand from earth and kind of go out and colonize other worlds the federation is a continuation effectively of sovereign earth government it's a continuation of the dominant themes of sovereign earth government i don't think it's it's a continuation of i think the the united kingdom has a bit of a conservative quality or a progressive um, it's a mixture, really. It's a social conservatism that is in the United Kingdom that doesn't really reflect so much in the Federation. However, if you look at America, then you see it. You know, you very clearly see it. What I'm saying is, in terms of in terms of allegiances, the Sol system and Earth is still very much the the homeworld of the federal government. Yeah, very much so. So, so it is still effectively. Well, all all I'm saying really is that when we come to talk about the other two factions. The Federation is kind of, is sort of us in a sense that it, it, it is the continuation of our history. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe, I mean, there are certain periods where the, the capital of the Federation, you know, the, the planetary capital of the Federation has been moved to Mars. Um, I'm not sure at the moment whether they've, they've made a decision about whether the capital currently in 3300 is back on Earth or it's on Mars. It will be one or the other. So in terms of gameplay... Is there a sense that, I mean, when, when you kind of come into a game and you're looking for a role-playing experience, there, there are sort of two camps of people. There are those that are looking for a kind of experience that reflects them kind of in their role-playing character. And then there are those that are looking to do something that's very different. So would you, in a sense, would you say that if you are kind of plumping for a kind of federally aligned player character... Is there something a bit off-putting about it in the same way that going into a role-playing game and choosing to play a human character kind of feels like the dull option? It almost feels a bit like you're going in and choosing vanilla, even though there are three major factions in this game and they're all interesting. How, how do you kind of feel, Junior, you know, do, you, do you think people are going to feel that coming into the game, that somehow Federation is the default? Not really, because I think the sort of premise of Elite is the independent trader. So I think actually what will, will kind of happen is that people will... Uh, interact with the factions and then make a decision about where they're going. I think the the nature of the theme, and I'm kind of hoping that the nature of the theme here, you know, is is almost about you add that 10 or 15 percent to create a almost a caricature style. I, I'm I'm very aware that the way in which Frontier look at this is they kind of they're not keen on making things too cartoon like, but I think you do have to to have a certain amount of of archetype to the way in which something's developed to you know, to make it have identity. I kind of see the pilot as almost, to start with, being about the ship, being about the trade. And then you, you start to look at, 
where the allegiances are taking you and where the themes are taking you. And the Federation takes you towards an Americanized culture. And by doing that, um, there is a very distinctive difference between embracing an Americanized culture when you're, you know, when you live in the UK um, or when you live in Australia or when you live in Russia, you know, when you live in Europe. I think there is a very distinct difference. And I think we can clearly identify in our, our current lives, we can clearly identify the sort of themes of an Americanized influence on our society. And I think that will that switch of embracing that or of or of accepting that or thinking that's cool or identifying with that i think that switch will be part of what you know what the federal choice is you know and joining the federation is so if people want to uh, understand more about a federal setting what would you say that in the fiction that's come out the different books that have been written to to come out with elite dangerous which are the ones that immerse themselves the most in a kind of federation setting it's interesting you've got a variety really I, I mean there are federal elements in quite a few of them uh, you have you know characters who who come from the federation go to the federation etc etc you have federal interests are protected in in particular you know particular novels and particular short stories there's quite a good identification of, of federal themes in a few of the short stories in the, the anthology which I think is is quite useful and perhaps in Out of the Darkness, you've got a corporate identification. Uh, it doesn't really, the federal idea doesn't really come into it too much, but you certainly have a corporate identification in there, which, which gives you a sense of, of how federal space sort of works, you know, within that environment and how corporations interact uh, in federal space. In Leap Reclamation, you've got the federal interest. You get a clear sense of distinction between the two, although we do move more towards the, the imperial, you know, sort of themes as, as things move on. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's that, that kind of, to me, would be the where you would look for sort of the, the federal identification. Labor Revolution as a federal agent, you know, you get a, a sort of an idea of, of perhaps something to do with how federal intelligence works. But I think, I mean, I think one of the key things that players will identify is the difference, you know, and when they see the two factions, the the one of those 20th century morality questions always comes up when people play any kind of computer game or, or, or get involved in any kind of immersive environment that has different cultural values is the issue of slavery. You know, slavery is legal in the empire and is illegal in the Federation. The denial of the freedom of that one individual is that surface question that you can immediately draw a line in and decide which which side of the fence that you're on, whether you accept the principles on one side or you accept the principles on the other. Well, thanks very much for the insight. Hopefully that's given people an understanding of that particular faction. And we'll be back in a moment to discuss the Empire. And now we'll move on to talk about something coming up in November that was announced in the last newsletter and was very exciting for some of us because some of us got invited, which was lovely. And that is the Premier Event Launch Party. Some people, unfortunately, will not be able to join us. I hope you all have a fully miserable time. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely, Simon. We'll wave to you on Twitch. So thanks to Generosity from Frontier, they actually put 
tickets to the premiere event on sale in the shop and gave everybody a chance to pick up a ticket that wanted to come along to this event. It'll be happening on the 22nd of November 2014 at the Imperial War Museum in Duxford, Cambridgeshire. It's really exciting, actually. It's our chance to be there to have some important announcements that are going to be given to us, which is exciting. There's going to be a celebration of the game and the amazing community. That's us. And it'll be broadcast around the world via a live stream on Twitch TV. So if you can't get there and you want to see what's going on, make sure that you visit the Elite Dangerous Twitch channel and see if you can catch what's going on live, which will be fantastic. There's going to be discussions, talks with the development team, game streaming, and as they said, some important announcements. But that's the question I'm going to ask is basically who is going and I know that a lot of the Lave Radio crew are going to be there. So who's actually considered to be a celebrity then? It said in the newsletter that, that there may be some celebrities. Who's a celebrity? I reckon it might be people along the lines of Daryl O'Brien and Professor Cox might make a, an appearance. Isn't there a Cox ring or something in game? <laughs> um. Oh, God. <goodness. laughs> that's, that's not... Oh, well, it could be to do with him. It could be. I mean, that's it. We're going to have O'Brien and Cox... I'm not sure what else we can add to that list to make it any more filthy. <laughs> True. I'm just looking down the chat to see who is going. We've got Mike Snoss going. We've got Richter going. We've got Ian Norman going. There's a huge amount of people going. And the wonderful thing about that is originally we all had that concept that this party was going to be very small and exclusive. And now... It's really getting that feeling of it being a community party and a celebration of all those of us that have been through different events over the years that have met are going to have this big opportunity to party hearty with the developers and Mr. Braben himself. What could be a better way to, to welcome this game into sort of a public release than that? I, I can't wait, actually. Thank you very much, Elite and Frontier Developments, for inviting us. I have to admit, I'm currently suffering from imposter syndrome ever so slightly. No, not at all, because you don't know what they're going to make you do, Lisa. Oh, uh, what? Hang on, what? <laughs> so it's one of the highlights. I definitely think this is one of the highlights of my year, and I am thoroughly looking forward to it. And it's going to be such a, a wonderful occasion to be able to share Elite Dangerous with all the friends I've made over the last couple of years and that chance to meet up with those people that I haven't met yet and to meet new people as well which would be lovely. Accessing data archive. Background information request. The Empire. Hi and welcome back. So we're going to have a quick discussion here about The Empire uh, and how it affects you and what you can expect to see. So Alan, give us a bit of a, a, a background on where The Empire comes from. Well, essentially, during the 24th century... Uh, there was a divide between uh, the Federation and, uh, and a set of colonists who went out to Aknar, or Akanar, uh, depending on your, your pronunciation of, uh, of the E in the middle. And uh, these colonists, most of the, the, the sort of dividing lines initially were along the, the problems with how you deal with an alien environment and whether the priority is to preserve the environment itself or it is to allow the colonists to survive, you know. So obviously those, those kind of environments are, 
you know pretty forbidding it's a frontier it's it's almost a parallel towards colonizing america and what had happened a, a little while previous is that there was a, a confrontation in the federation about this and this was kind of resolved uh, in a way that the the first six main areas of civilizations of humanity got together and effectively started the federal charter and worked out some particular rules on how you know how things were going to be dealt with in the future when they colonized new places but the thing was with Akanar was that the majority of funding for the colonization of Akanar was private so um, and you know it was was wealthy patrons essentially uh, the Deval family were the majority of funding and so when the colonists got there because they weren't relying on continual support from the Federation necessarily, they had a level of freedom that gave them an opportunity to, you know, to impose or to think about a different vision. The Deval family itself had a bit of a, an altercation where there was a coming together, a, a falling out between uh, Henson Deval and Marlon Deval. Marlon Deval being a, a very wealthy female from Earth and who, you know, who held the majority of the, uh, the economic money of uh, of the family you know she was the wealthy one of the family um and henson being her her brother and henson uh, achieving control of uh, of of Akinar's colony now whether that happened owing to an accident or whether that happened owing to some form of direct coup we're not sure but what we do know is there was certainly a level of um gender prejudice within the empire in those early days which is reflected in one of the short stories from the anthology uh, Tales of the Frontier. Yes, that's um, uh, Blood is Thicker by uh, Ulysses Susumetza. Moving from that, we then uh, we then have an altercation between the Empire and uh, the Federal Fleet. At this point, you know, we're talking here about the early part of the 24th century. And at this point, you've got one colony that is attempting to fight the the majority of the rest of humanity over its own vision for for the future and surprisingly this altercation resulted in the Akinar being able to split away from the uh, the other nations the other civilizations and form the empire as it was um, it wasn't an empire at that point because it was only one one system and one colony but it then spread through that system and then they, they launched colonies themselves and effectively started to expand in as a rival to uh, to the federal core uh, certainly by the end of the 24th century, you have the the major sort of hot war between the two has kind of has kind of stopped. And at that point, the empire is is moving into expansion. OK, so that's the history of the empire. What sort of things are we going to see manifesting in game? Well, to start with, the stylistic difference is quite clear in terms of the the manufacture and the crafting of um, of spaceships. They began with uh, with spaceships that were co-opted from uh, from their colonization that were based on federal designs but um, certainly later on the elegance of imperial design starts to come to the fore so in game that is a significant difference so that's the first thing that you'll notice further from that it's in the tone of uh, of address a little bit more hierarchical in terms of their address and we've certainly seen that in previous games there is a little bit more ritual to imperial speak the titles are slightly unfamiliar, and I think that gives the culture its, its appeal as, as things go. And the major distinction, which we've already touched on, which is the approach to several several 20th century 
moral issues that we will perhaps as players be viewing their society through. So the empire approach to slavery is very interesting. Slavery is legal, but it is part of uh, the way in which their society works because it is seen as something that people do. It is an honorable idea. If an individual becomes in debt and cannot pay those debts, then slavery is a method of working through a debt you know, and restoring oneself to, to, to normal status in a civilized society. The treatment of slaves, the abuse of slaves, is not something that the empire condones in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's considered to be a, a considerable crime. So you have an interesting way in which people can, can look at this decision. And once again, we come back to uh, the central theme of Elite, which is about placing this, the decision back with the player, placing the decision back with the commander as to what their moral choice is. Do you react to the idea of slavery and therefore um, immediately reject it and therefore make yourself uh, more inclined towards other factions? Or do you embrace the idea of slavery because actually what it does is it creates a status that enshrines the people who are unfortunate in a constitution whereby they will get fed, they will have somewhere to sleep, they will have warm clothes. So, you know, it has a multitude of levels on which you can read it, which I think is very interesting. David's been very, um, very active in, in setting the tone in terms of the way in which the empire society works. Uh, initially, when we were doing some of the drafting, you know, I made the mistake, and, and I think other people would quite obviously make the mistake of viewing the imperial idea through the prism of of Rome, but looking at Rome in the aspect that we know it has. And it's quite surprising because obviously Rome was, you know, the Roman Empire was around for a very, very long period of time. And it is interesting to note just how much we perceive that Roman Empire, how much we, how much of the, the culture that we identify as being Roman is actually part of the later part of the Roman Empire. You do, you do, you know, you think of the legions, you think of the centurions, you think of those, those bits and pieces. And they obviously, you know, those themes uh, evolve through the, the period of time that the Roman Empire existed. But actually, some of the nuances of Roman society the ones that we hang on to are the bits that were, were very late in Roman society when it was falling to pieces. And what David was very keen on making sure that, you know, the empire that we're, we're looking at in, uh, in elite, he was very keen on making sure that the inspiration came from some of the early models. So the way in which senatorial politics works, the way in which village communities, towns, cities, the way in which uh, they had access to different aspects of the law and dis different aspects of, you know, bu bureaucratic administration. The very interesting and the very efficient elements of Rome existed prior to its imperial dynasty. So prior to Caesar, you had access to law, access to justice, access to bureaucratic administration through the Republic. There were some very organized and, and well-working and efficient systems for the different aspects of Republican society. That transcended into the early period of imperial Rome because uh, Caesar and uh, Augustus and uh, some of the early emperors weren't going to, to destroy or, or get rid of institutions that were working. They just wanted to make things work a little bit more efficiently in certain ways. And also they were obviously interested in preserving their own position at the head 
of that bureaucratic administration. So I think uh, David Braben's inspiration and influence in terms of the way in which we're looking at the empire and elite is to look at the, the Augustinian period and perhaps sort of around that period of, of imperial Rome. And then also stylistically in terms of the way that the imperial architecture sort of looks and you know, sort of in terms of the design of the ships. And now we haven't actually seen any official kind of costume stuff come out, but I always kind of get the impression that it's going to have a similar vibe to maybe House Atreides in June or something like that. There's that kind of, there's almost in kind of an imperial Russia influence, I think, on some of that design. There, there seems to be lots of quite ornate crafting in terms of the ships uh, and certainly the interior design stuff that we've seen for the imperial ships. There's that kind of curvature that's represented in the, you know, the old Russian imperial palaces. I think you have to be careful with that because, you know, the designs of Gutameya produced craft, which Gutameya being the uh, the primary imperial ship crafter, the designs of, uh, of Gutameya produced craft are curved and they are very much looking at the form being elegant along with the, the function. But some of the, and this is, this is, again, this comes back to the mistake that can be made in terms of uh, thinking about the empire. Some of the later ideas of of Rome and how it then moved into the sort of evolution of, of Christianity through orthodoxy and through through Roman Catholicism, the ornateness, the ostentation, the extra rituality, the symbolism, the iconography was almost wasteful. That idea of form and function fitting together is not necessarily something that was epitomized at that later point. And I think you have to, you know, you have to create a dividing line. The idea of, of the empire and elite is very much that form and function. Style exists, but style does not necessarily exist over substance. So, so what you're saying is that even though they look very sort of almost superficially artistically crafted, yeah. that actually the technology and kind of the intent and effectiveness behind them is every bit as powerful as the, the Federation gunships. Absolutely. That is, that is exactly the, the come down on it. I, you know, it is beauty, or at least it's, it's attempting a particular stylistic beauty that doesn't sacrifice ability. Excellent. And in terms of people sort of allying themselves to a faction in the game, I think it's fair to say the Empire has a very big following, I think, among elite community and players and writers. I think people seem to be quite drawn to it. And I don't know if that's necessarily just because of the, the fact that the Empire's ships are, are very pretty. But I think as well, I think people are drawn to the sort of ornate formality of, of imperial society i think there's something about it in the game that from from the stuff i've seen from what people you know are sort of saying in their online role playing uh, and also in the fiction that i've read there's something about that sense of honor and pride in in having a place in a society and i don't think the, the, the thing that seems to be funny about the way that some of the empire stuff's come across it doesn't seem to matter how high your position is within the imperial society the fact that you have a defined position is a kind of seems to be a source of pride for people so people will be just as happy being like a rookie pilot for the the imperial navy they have just as much pride in their position as someone who is a, an imperial senator yeah absolutely i mean the key thing here is that the empire has the strongest stylistic voice and uh, and i think people can quite clearly identify with it and quite clearly see that how stylistically different but 
similar it is. It takes you into a society that is not the society that you live in. And I think this is where we, where when we make the comparison to the Federation, you know, identifying the Federation's voice as different from 21st century culture, 21st century societies, is a little bit trickier. Where I've said that the, you know, the branded, the commercialism, the corporationism is, is sort of enhanced in federal society. That is how you define the, the stylistic voice. But it is tricky to, you know, to sort of see that permeate because the language is a little bit similar at times. Whereas with the empire, it's quite clear cut. You know, you can see it through, through the tone, the formalism. You can see it through the, the design. You can see it through the choices because that, you know, that clear distinction of, yes, slavery is legal in the empire and it's actually part of our societal laws and this is how it works, you know, that immediately tells you that, you know, this is a different choice you are making when you elect to, to align uh, with imperial society. And in terms of the fiction, I mean, I think it's, it's much easier within the, the books that have been, you know, brought out. I think it's much easier to, to come up with quite a number of examples <laughs> that kind of demonstrate uh, imperial leanings. I mean, certainly elite reclamation, you know, perhaps more, more the first sort of act of the book, uh, maybe more the rest of it. But there is a definite feel of the wider imperial influence on a society, even a remote outpost like the one in elite reclamation. But certainly within that, there's a discussion of, of, of the rights of slaves and the rights of slaves as distinct between how things are in the core imperial worlds and how things are for them maybe out on the fringes. Um, we've already talked about Ulysses Suzumetsu's you know, short story, which delves a little bit into the kind of history of the empire rather than, than where it's at, you know, in the kind of timeline of Elite Dangerous being released. There's also, what else have we got? We did it in Escape Velocity. There's quite a lot of imperial influence in, in season one of that. Your own book has, again, while not being set in the Empire itself, there's a clear understanding in some of the scenes in that of the way in which imperial foreign policy is kind of carried out. Yeah, no, I think as well, it's quite interesting if you, you know, if you make a broad comment on most of the fiction, imperial characters generally are portrayed as being clever. You know, they're cunning, they're scheming. They, they live in a society that has rules, so they are, you know, they learn to, to work with those rules and to find ways to step around those rules when they need to without you noticing. And I think, generally speaking, as I say, that um, the most imperial characters that, are, that come across in the books are, are just, they seem to be more intelligent than some of the other characters, which I think is, is an interesting comment. But yeah, you know, I mean, the stylistic voice is there. What will also be interesting is... Slavery as, as, as a question is, you know, as I've said, is a, as a binary. It's a really nice binary to divide the two factions. But we have to remember as well that we have a whole host of independent systems and we also have an alliance of independent systems. And there are different takes on slavery. There will be worlds where slaves are abused and those worlds may be imperial and that, that abuse may be that people are getting away with it under the nose of, of you know, the imperial proctor or the, um, the senators and what have you. Or they may be independent worlds who are claiming to be, you know, like the empire and so on and so forth, but actually they're not. And certainly when we look at, at worlds that will permit slavery but are independent, that will also be a reflection on the empire because, you know, it allows you to explore that question in a slightly deeper way. 
Yeah, and that's and it's interesting as well that in terms of gameplay, one of the things people were asking for on the forums a long time ago now was if you've if you're taking on the role of someone in the game who is who is very anti-slavery, yeah, do you have the ability of if you've destroyed a ship that is carrying slaves as cargo and you take that cargo on board, do you have the option to free those slaves, or or do you are you know does the game engine force you into kind of selling it on because it's a in gameplay terms it's a cargo unit but people wanted the ability to for certain types of cargo not just slavery i mean we're talking about you know narcotics and weapons and things like Mm. that as well people wanted the option of being able to kind of turn this cargo over rather than necessarily selling it for profit and it'll be interesting to see you know whether the game is able to enable players to make those choices and again the difficult thing seeing as we're talking about the empire of the fact that actually you know if you've got a stock of if you've destroyed a ship and liberated a set of imperial slaves by their own terms you're not you're not necessarily always doing them a favor absolutely you know you know if they were looking to pay their debt off then um you have change their status in their own society you know it's very interesting there's lots of layers to the way in which you know this this sort of culture can be interpreted excellent well thank you very much again uh we'll take a short break and we will come back to discuss the alliance so from one party to another party that's right lavecon 2015 is go a venue has been picked tickets are on sale you can get tickets for the hotel as well so with information on lavecon we're going to go over to lisa thank you so right lavecon marvelous this year building on last year's success lavecon is going to be at the beautiful sedgebrick hall hotel in northamptonshire lavecon will run on saturday the 11th of july and sunday the 12th of july starting at 10 a.m each day and running late into saturday night and possibly early sunday morning for some people and finishing at 6 p.m on the sunday LaveCon 2014 had a LAN party running Oculus Rift. We had all the authors giving us readings. We had information from the Galance books. We had the Elite Encounters run by Dave Hughes running little sessions at the game. We had a board gaming room. We had the Nintendo Street Pass room. We had live Lave radio podcast recordings. We had Karash doing a live stream. We had the Radio Theatre Workshop doing a live audio drama. We had the developers from Frontier Developments coming in to talk about things in a Q&A session. We had special guests and we had trade stations from Fantastic Books Publishing. We had Having a LARP, ED Tracker were there and Thornless Rose. And of course, a late night live edition of the podcast Dockers. So many things at last year's LaveCon. And this year, we plan to expand on this and bring in more than you could possibly imagine and really make it an event to remember and definitely something that you need to get straight over to the Lave Radio webpage and visit laveradio.com click the LaveCon link at the top and have a look at that the ticket prices are up they are selling quite quickly they are at a slightly reduced price up until the end of October and then they'll be going up in price so if you want to be there try and get in as quickly as you can before they sell out and also before the prices go up. And hopefully we will see you there. Accessing data archive. Background information request. 
the Alliance. Welcome back. Uh, we are now going to plunge into the Alliance. Now, in terms of my feeling on this, I, I feel a bit like the Alliance is the sort of the tricky third album. Um, <laughs> it's quite a hard one to define at the moment from where I'm sitting, and it's it's not really something that we've had much discussion from in terms of you know in terms of frontier in terms of development of Elite Dangerous. It's not something that much of the fiction has really immersed itself in hugely. And it's a tricky one to sort of give you a a very quick sort of identity rundown on. What's your feeling about the Alliance? Yeah, it is very interesting. The you know, to, to, to define them kind of denies a little bit of what they are uh, because of the fact that, you know, they are effectively an affiliation and a fraternity rather than being a centralized power. You know, in in terms of the other two factions, you have a clear incident with regards to the Empire that defines them stylistically. With the Federation, you have the fact that they have the home of humanity at the core of what they are. And you have clear elements of the way in which Earth worked, you know, in our time, extended and and then corrupted or or enhanced in particular ways. Whereas actually the Alliance is almost reactionary and their, their inception, their, their development just before the, the release of, uh, of Frontier First Encounters was very much along those lines. You know, it was a, a burgeoning and emerging faction that had thrown off the chains of previous, previous authority. Uh, the system of Alioth was absolutely central to this in that uh, Alioth was a massive resource system huge gas giant mining operations in that system and have been fought over by federation and uh, and empire fleets and uh, um, individuals and you know fought over in cold war hot war for for centuries and the fact that alioth finally was able to to effectively revolt and to cast off the, the governments of both factions and declare itself independent began what essentially became called the alliance and you know initially the industriousness of and the vigor of those revolutionaries in in perpetuating the the, the freedom the rebellion in other systems around alioth was was obviously was strong so you end up with in uh, frontier first encounters you have a fairly energetic small core of planets and small core of of systems that kind of are celebrating the fact that they stand for something new. And some of the values they stand for are federal values. But some of the other values that they stand for are almost coming back to the core of what those federal values used to be. So where we've discussed the, the idea of slavery, you know, the Federation might say that it doesn't support slavery and slavery is against federal law. But then you see that corporations have such an influence in federal society. Some of the rights and privileges of people that we have today have actually been been removed or traded away. You know, the right to who you vote for, the right to what clothes you wear might have been traded away simply to to maintain your position within a corporation. Whereas the alliance is about returning to to some of those values and kind of saying, you know, actually these are these are important and and setting a new line in terms of the way in which corporate governance is handled within alliance space. The only problem with this is that, you know, that might have been the intention 50 odd years ago but as the alliance has has become populist as it has expanded as it has gone into other places that is as it has become more affiliated we've realized that it doesn't have a central power structure it doesn't have a central mandate 
And so the interpretations of what it stands for become diluted and become more and more different. Subsequently, you then have um, you know, particular historical incidents that have occurred between 3250 and 3300, which have also burned the alliance's fingers in terms of trying to establish itself as a, a distinct and contained political entity. It actually, it's more of a club and a club of equal voices and trying to then define you know, which of those voices have the most strength, which of those voices are able to command the most attention and can act decisively and powerfully is very difficult. Yeah, definitely. And it's a sense that the that obviously the alliance is made up of, you know, of worlds that were independent worlds that have had to kind of sign up to a union in order to avoid being bullied by the bigger players, maybe. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way of, of defining them, I think. The alliance, it's like having a few friends in the playground that, you know, you can go and turn to. Whereas being an independent system is about just absolutely casting your own way. And I think the the interesting difference between an alliance-affiliated system and an independent system is quite small, unless that independent system, one, has internal problems, so it's, you know, it's, it's a bit lawless, or two, it's taken on a, a particular set of dictatorial law or something else that really makes it you know, unappealing or, or in, ineligible to join the Alliance fraternity. Yeah, totally. And, and it's interesting as well because, I mean, obviously one of the books that does cover kind of Alliance space perhaps more than the other one is obviously your book, um, Lave Revolution. The way you've turned them in the book is the old worlds. And this is where in the original elite, this was the starting ground for all players. So all players started at Lave and mm. the game kind of went out from there. Is it fair to describe that as Alliance space? Yes, yeah, some of it is. There are there's a portion of the the old worlds have signed up to the alliance. Lave being almost the fulcrum of that region. Once Lave became an alliance affiliated government, you know, once the system became became alliance affiliated, then certain worlds uh, went with it. But you still have corporate. Certainly, Zeons uh, is very corporate influenced. I, I tend to think that the the old worlds circle. Is almost like a microcosm for for a lot of the rest of the galaxy, as it were, because you've still got one or two anarchies, you've got some lawless space, you've got some some alliance controlled systems, you've got some corporate, you know. So it has a, a bit of a a mixed bag, as it were. But it, it is interesting that you know to bring Lave into the alliance creates a something of a different block because all the the previous story up to Frontier First Encounters had been around the Alioth block. And the you know the systems around Alioth, and you've got there's a, a breadbasket system very near to Alioth, so you've got a, an agricultural system nearby, and you've got you know other mining systems nearby, and you've got industrial systems nearby, and then with Lave, next door to Lave is Deso, and Deso of course is an agricultural system, and then you've got you know one or two other systems that that sort of support it. So you've got essentially you've got almost like two blocks, and there are others. You know, it's not it's not just that Alliance space is you know is confined there. You can find other regions as well which um, will make things very interesting and I don't think you'll be seeing coordinated action from the alliance and we, we see that in ship design as well because of course there isn't really a themed alliance type of ship and I think that's that's intentional certainly in the the old history when the, the rebellion happened on Aliolf there was a, a discussion in the, the years after when when they started to move into other systems they were adapting old long-range research cruisers and um, and other ships that really weren't designed to be warships and they were adapting these and, and sort of using them against um, against imperial ships and against federal ships they're a real mixed bag in that regard 
I'd be delighted if uh, if ultimately Frontier finds some ways to represent that because I'd really like to see some of those kind of you know real hodgepodge designs come into come into the game because I think that'd be that'd be incredible. But at this stage, you know the 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 variety of alliance systems don't really have an identity in terms of you know in terms of spacecraft. Yeah, that's an interesting observation as well, and it's and it's it'd be interesting to see as well in terms of in game what kinds of demands the alliance is going to place on the player you know because they have a slightly lighter touch as a political agenda i mean they don't the alliance doesn't expand seek to expand in the same way that maybe the federation or the the empire has historically expanded the alliance sort of expands really much more by convincing systems to come on side with them rather than through expansion and colonization you've got two huge superpowers who, despite the fact that they were engaged in a, a bit of a proxy war in Alioth and, and were, were trying to maneuver against each other in Alioth as the alliance was created, despite that, they're still head to head and they're still, you know, sort of sitting and staring at each other and waiting for the other one to blink. And the alliance is a bit of a distraction in that regard because if one of them turns its head and starts looking in that direction instead, then do they expose themselves? Do they expose their throat to their, you know, to their traditional enemy? Or does that put too much attention on the alliance and mean that the alliance falls to pieces? Because fundamentally, they don't have the kind of centralized organizations that would allow them to conduct a war or to conduct a, um, you know, a political war in the same way against the other two powers. You know, the, the idea of a, a centralized alliance military is not really... You know, it, it kind of exists in that, you know, something happens in one system that's alliance affiliated. So the Council of Admirals will be, you know, will be called and they will ask for ships to be be sort of pledged towards something from different navies in different independent systems and they'll go off and do something. But it's not the same as having this kind of, you know, very clear centralized military structure that you have in, in, in the other two factions. Um, you know, there is a negotiation there which is tricky. Um, similarly, you know, to, to get a unified um, position of condemnation or of endorsement out of the Alliance Assembly, it's very hard, you know, because they are a very, very disparate group of people and group of, of, of star systems. I think what's happened is that that energy and enthusiasm that was there in 3250 has kind of been tempered by one or two incidents, one of which is the revolution on Lave, but there are one or two others as well. It's been tempered and it's kind of found itself in a very difficult position. So maybe in 3300 AD, the Alliance has, has kind of run out of steam. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's expanded as much as it can and the disparate nature of its, um, of its members have put it in a, you know, a similar inertia uh, to the other two factions by the fact that it, it can't unify itself. Interesting. So is there, I mean, is there maybe a scope within the game for almost a kind of change of attitude in the Alliance of what it needs to do in order to, you know, maintain a kind of strength? Is there, a, I'm thinking in terms of emissions for players, is there likely to be almost a kind of protection racket thing going on with the Alliance where there might be missions where you'd say, oh, this system is staying very independent, you know, maybe, maybe one or two acts of piracy or terrorism around that system might convince them to sign up. Well, I think there is an opportunity to be a bit more, uh, a bit cleverer. What what we could do, and the, you know, this is one method in which you could look at the alliance, 
is if you've got uh, a, you know, one particular star system joins the alliance and then two or three other star systems around it join the alliance, maybe that, that first star system has a, has a voting block because it's got the systems around it that economically depend on it. So what they do is they then start to, to advertise missions and they then start to, you know, to, to advertise for tasks, for, for jobs to be done that are effectively going to reinforce that power block and allow them to eventually put together laws, put together uh, more stringent conditions so that the alliance becomes their particular political tool. And I think if you if you see that in three or four different enclaves, then you have the makings of a really interesting third faction, because that third faction becomes about which of the, the different enclaves is going to triumph, and therefore which of those enclaves is going to dominate the alliance and impose a style upon it that is different to the other two factions. And if you if you think about it that way, the players effectively are joining the game at the beginning of the narrative. And then they can they can look to which particular of these different epochs that they want to uh, to align themselves with, and you may well see missions that you know denigrate the other ones. You know, we need you to go and do some piracy in this particular system, but that's an alliance system. Yes, it is an alliance system. Oh, there are pirates. Well, obviously you you can't control your system, so maybe we need a we need a better security force, and maybe your military assets shouldn't be in that security force, and you need to conduct a review on um, on your naval pilots and your security because you don't train them well enough we'll do the training for you do you see what i mean you get that kind of staged way in which um one entity might end up dominating this faction so again in terms of directing people towards fiction to kind of understand uh, maybe some of the alliance stuff i mean obviously there's Lave revolution which mm. is kind of you know probably more than any of the other books it is about that tricky kind of balancing act between the alliance and the, the the federation and the empire certainly in the anthology there's uh i'm thinking of the maledict uh, even though it is yeah. it, it's largely an empire story because the main character is is an imperial agent but actually in terms of the setup of it and the, the beginning of that story the influence of a kind of alliance world and certainly the the corporations within that there's a very strong setup there i think in terms of understanding those kind of worlds we tried to do it a bit in escape velocity i think series two but obviously you know because escape velocity is is, is still unofficial that there wasn't at the time that kind of internal insight <laughs> into how the alliance was was developing uh, in the game what else have we got that's very much an alliance story i think you've pretty much covered it i mean you've got one or two that 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 look at the independent ship trader i.e. the or not the independent ship trader the independent trader uh, who you know is governing their own ship and from a player's perspective being independent and joining the alliance initially that decision there isn't much difference because the alliance are the alliance of independent systems so from that outset you don't feel or I, I don't think you will feel as a player that you're actually trading away much in terms of your allegiance you know, you'll have a lot of control and a lot of ability to do what you want to do. Whereas when you sign up for the Empire, perhaps that, you know, that, that that's more more of a distinct choice, as it were. The Alliance, I don't think, you know, I don't think there will necessarily be much from a superficial point of view. But it's going to be interesting to see how later, how Frontier then start to, you know, to sort of see the Alliance's narrative 
And I'm very much hoping that they do. I mean, you know, somebody else have a better idea than me, but I'm very much hoping that they do see it as an organization that is coalescing and is trying to find its identity. And that way players can be part of, you know, establishing that identity for uh, for the game. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully that's been a, a helpful rundown of the three factions for people. If you have any more questions, do find them over to the uh, Lave Radio podcast, which I'm sure will be the addresses will be given out at the end of the main show. Um, thank you very much, Alan. Thank you. Now we're going to go over to Chris Foster Forrester talking to Colin Ford about the Google Cardboard. Okay, and another thing that we wanted to talk about on this episode is something that Colin brought up a few days ago, actually, and that is the subject of virtual reality. So obviously we know about Oculus Rift within Elite Dangerous, but Colin, you were talking about something which I actually hadn't come across before, and that is Google Cardboard. Now, do you want to just tell us a little bit about exactly what Google Cardboard is and what your experience had been with it? Well, Google Cardboard was a little surprise that Google threw at every developer at uh, Google I.O. this year. Every year, everybody's used to getting a bit of a goodie bag. Only this time, everyone just got this piece of cardboard. They looked at it like someone had just dropped something unsavory in their lap. But what happened was, if you folded this cardboard up in the correct way and put some lenses in, hey presto, you had a virtual reality headset when you put your Android phone on the front. And they had a whole load of special apps that they had made specifically for I.O., It was somebody's 20% project. If you know Google, they had these 20% projects where developers are allowed to work on their own little thing for 20% of their time. Retrograde on the forums, he put a little post on there saying that he'd managed to get Google Cardboard to work like Oculus Rift. Okay, so obviously this is a phone. Elite Dangerous isn't running on your mobile phone. So how exactly are you managing to get Elite Dangerous to project onto your mobile screen? Well, there is a developer whose website is called Odd Sheep Games in the UK, and he has come up with this little piece of software called Trinius Grey, a client app that you put on your phone and a server app which you put on your PC. And what it will do is it will stream the video from a window onto your phone. And then when you have that video streaming, it can also do head tracking. So what Mr. Retrograde found out was that if he set up his Trinius Gray server and his phone, linked it together with this head tracking software called OpenTrack, that if he put his phone in a Google Cardboard, lo and behold, he got what people nicknamed the Oculus Thrift. (laughs) I like it. The thing is, been using this for a couple of days and it's surprisingly good. You do have to have a decent network connection because what it's doing is it's streaming your elite client video from there straight onto the phone. So you've got to have the side-by-side view, obviously. But the good thing about it is that it only costs 20 quid. Okay, and 20 quid, and this gets you what exactly? Tyrius Grace server and client is actually free. There is a paid-for version, which I've upgraded to, but there's also open track. And what happens is you stick your phone in the Google Cardboard, Find some way to get it to stick to your face. (laughs) Right. Yeah. In some cases, I've seen people use swimming goggles. They put swimming goggles around the Google Cardboard just to hold it in place on their head. (laughs) It's quite amusing. (laughs) But what it does give you is it gives you very, very basic head tracking. So you can still look around your Sidewinder cockpit, even though you're using a 20-pound headset. Okay. I'm intrigued. What about things like the lenses in it? And what about the depth and the level of graphics that are portrayed on the phone? Well, this all depends on your graphics card. 
I mean, I'm using an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 660. So that's a mid-range video card. And what happens is that it doesn't have the resolution to match what I would call the, the DK2. But I think, having had a little experience with the DK1, I think you can match at least the DK1. Really? Yeah. Uh, admittedly, the head tracking isn't as smooth as the Oculus Rift, but as the developer said, he's uh, is constantly in development. They've had about three releases in the last two weeks, and has come on leaps and bounds. So I even punted and got this thing called Color Cross. Now, what a Color Cross is is the equivalent of a plastic version of Google Cardboard. Okay, so who's making these? Are these available on likes of Amazon or? Uh, they're not available on Amazon, but you can pick them up on eBay. They've got to be imported from China. Right. But it is effectively a headset with the proper straps at the back, and you slide your phone in the front, and you can actually watch movies through it, you know, the whole virtual reality thing. But if you link that in with the Tyrannus Grey server, you do get a quite reasonable picture. Interesting. Well, I mean, that sounds a bit difficult for me to get my head around. So just wondering, if you've got the time, how about you do a YouTube video showing people how they can get the various different components working within uh, Elite Dangerous? There is a whole thread on the proper forums called Playing Elite with Google Cardboard, which was kicked off by Retrograde. And that, me and quite a few other people, discussing how to get it working. Obviously, being a skinflint, (laughs) (laughs) it's been a surprisingly nice experience. Well, just looking at it, if you actually were just to put in Playing Elite with Google Cardboard into Google, the obviously the Elite Forum thread comes up as top of the list. So if people want to search for that, then they can just go and do that. At the moment, it does support only the top range of Android phones. So we are talking your Note 2s and your, your, get your Nexus 5s and things like that. Okay, so if I've got a Note 3, even though it's a larger size, it's a phablet, is that going to fit into Google Cardboard as well? I don't think that one will. I think that it's sort of five, five and a half inch screen size is the most it can handle. That's round about six, I think. Well, that might actually fit in the colour cross at a stretch. So, you know, if I could send you down the colour cross, you could have a go with it yourself. Hmm. Okay, well, I think this is definitely one of these things that will be listing as a work in progress and we'll obviously come back to it in a couple of weeks time and see how you were people are getting on with it yeah i must admit for someone who hasn't got much cash and completely jealous of grant and and all the people with their dk2s and swanning it over the rest of us it is quite a pleasant experience great stuff okay well i say we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks and see how everybody's getting on but cheers colin Before we wrap up this episode, just a quick opportunity to go back to our guests in the chat room to see if any of them have any shout-outs or anything they would like to raise before we finish up this episode. Titus. Yes, I just want to quickly give a shout-out to Commander Anderson de Greer. He's one of my fellow members in TEST. He was chosen to be one of the ambassadors at the Newegg US event, so congratulations to him. Oh, that's right. They announced the ambassadors. It's Anderson de Greer and Shazbot. Thanks for that, Titus. That's great. Congratulations to the both of them. And I'm sure that they'll do Frontier Proud. And I am certain they'll enjoy it as much as all the other ambassadors have enjoyed their slavery. Anybody else for anything else? So I am Lisa Vu from Vu's Review, which is my very own gaming blog, where I talk about games and things and not always elite, but sometimes elite. So there you go. 
I'd also like to plug my video cast, if you like, which I've called Top Shift. Working on a new episode at the moment, but we're waiting on Beta 3 before we actually release it. And also the Free Alliance regional telecast will probably be making a return at some point. Oh, fantastic. That's with, um, what was the presenter's name? Moist McTavish. Moist McTavish, that's right. <laughs> Moist. <laughs> Simon, you had something you wanted to plug? Was it perchance our elite-based comedy podcast called Dockers? Some big news if you really want a spoiler. Episode 7, which will be our Christmas special, will be really one to look forward to. So expect some more special guests in our next episode and join us at bsdockers.co.uk. And all the episodes are on there. Feel free to download them and leave some comments. Thank you very much. All that remains for me is to thank the crew, Colin, Ben and Lisa, and to thank our special guests, Ian Norman, Danny, Simon, Titus, A.K. Bingo, Commander Smokey, Devil, El Masri, Flack, Lighthouse, Reichter, Snoz, and Void Sun for joining us tonight and giving us lots of people to talk to, which is always a pleasure. If you would like to get in touch with the show, you can. Info at laveradio.com on the email, at laveradio on Twitter, forward slash laveradio on Facebook, and fozo 101 for the Skype chat channel. And it's laveradio.teamspeak3.com for our TeamSpeak live chat channel. Thank you for listening, fly safe, and we'll catch you next time. Tell you what, I know, I know exactly what to do. <clears throat> you just, oh, you're going to say Ben's going to tell you about it, aren't you, you git? <laughs> yes! <laughs> damn, damn right I was. Oh, okay, fuck. maybe we'll change it. It's fine, it's not a problem. I won't do that to you, Ben. <laughs> so, with information on LaveCon, we're going to go over to Colin. You get.